Thank you for listening to the Renovation Church Podcast. We're a family that believes you matter, and together we can do something that matters. We hope that this podcast aids you in your spiritual journey toward Jesus. If we can serve you on that journey, please let us know by visiting our website, renovationchurch.com. We always love to hear how the ministry of renovation is impacting your life. The best way to let us know is by leaving a review or tagging us on social media. Wherever you are in the world, know that Jesus loves you and we love you. Enjoy the podcast. Uh, just a couple of things to jump into before we get to the word. If you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and open it up. Uh, paper or digital to Psalm 98, to Psalm 98. And while you're turning there, let me say this. Uh, if you're here today and you're not yet a follower of the way of Jesus, uh, or you're joining us online and, and you're not yet a follower of the way of Jesus, I want you to know two things. One, um, this is a place where you can belong before you believe. We mean that. And there are people here who will tell you that that's their story, that they belong to this community before they ever came to any kind of faith in Jesus. And and furthermore, if you're in a season of deconstructing or reconstructing, I want you to know that this is a place where you can belong while you work out what you believe, because that's what the community of Christ is supposed to be, yes? Amen. Okay, so we're going to be in Psalm 98 today, and we're just going to read verses 4 through 9 together. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Wherever, whoever did that, thank you. Thank you. Oh, let's try it again. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. All the earth, break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it and the world and those who live in it. Let the floods clap their hands. Let the hills sing together for joy at the presence of the Lord, for he is coming to just the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. The word of the Lord, and if you would say with me, thanks be to God. Father, we pray now that your word would saturate our hearts. We pray that your word would fill us, Lord, in a mighty way. We pray, Lord God, that we would be transformed by your word and that no matter where we are in our spiritual journey right now, with, away from, or toward Jesus, that we would hear together today the call Yahweh, the voice of God and that our hearts would be set ablaze in some new way at the truth of the gospel. We ask all of this in the matchless and precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen. It remains a mystery how this hymn that we're discussing today, Joy to the World, actually became a Christmas carol. If this is your first time or you haven't been here for this series, we spent the last month uh, looking at some of our favorite Christmas songs and unearthing the truths in them and the transformative nature of those words and how they're tied to Scripture. And, and joy to the world is no different. But again, we don't know how it became a Christmas carol. It's inspired by Old Testament Scripture. It has no words alluding to the birth of Jesus other than the phrase, the Lord has come. And yet joy to the world though it would seem to be a song for all seasons to be sung as much in July as it would be in December, has become, particularly for people in the U.S., uh, a holiday standard. And so maybe you wonder, as I would, maybe you didn't even know that, and now today you do, and so you wonder, as I do, how did this happen? Is it because of the jubilant spirit of the song that, that maybe it simply felt like Christmas? 
Either way, joy to the world has been rooted in our hearts for generations. It is the love child of two brilliant songwriters who never met. But together, they created a hymn that has become one of Christmas' most lasting songs. Each of these two icons ignored the established way of doing things and blazed new trails in every facet of their work, including trying to bring religious music into a new era. Since they lived a half a world away from each other and were separated in life by almost a hundred years, neither of these musical revolutionaries realized that through their collab, they would bring a timeless holiday classic for every age and every audience. In fact, Isaac Watts and Lowell Mason had no idea they had given the world a lasting Christmas anthem. Watts was born in July of 1674. He displayed incredible intellect. But because he didn't belong to the Church of England, he was not allowed to go to the prestigious schools of Oxford or Cambridge, and so instead he was sent to an independent academy. He had a discontent with the status quo, and he challenged everything while he was at school, asking the question constantly, why should anybody be satisfied with the way things are, when in fact they could be so much better? Eventually his discontent would turn to church music. Like most young people in the 1600s, Watts found church music of the period monotonous and uninspired. He felt that the music was void of emotion and, listen to this, void of joy. He complained to his father, and his father, like good fathers do, challenged him that instead of complaining, make something better. That little challenge would spark a creative fervor in Watts that would not calm until he had composed more than 600 hymns. It was while studying Psalm 98 that Watts was inspired to write joy to the world. In verse 4 of the psalm, Watts lingered, completely entranced by the phrase, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Make a loud noise, in case, literally says loud. Make a loud noise. So that means even if you're Presbyterian, you can't praise him in your heart. And rejoice and sing praise. Focusing on verse 4 and the 5 that followed flowed this beautiful song. Watts dropped Joy to the World and a few other new songs in an album entitled The Psalms of David Imitated in the Language of the New Testament and Applied to the Christian State in Worship. The greatest album title of all time. His album was released in 1719 along with well-known classics. Some of you will know them. When I Survey the Wonderful Cross, At the Cross. Anybody know that one? Some old saints in the house, At the Cross. And this is the day that the Lord has made. Though he died in 1748, Watts' music lived. And it began a revolution in modern Christian musical thinking. Forty years later, after Watts' death, Lowell Mason was born in New Jersey. Though he was musically gifted, he didn't see a way to make money in music. And so he became a banker instead. But the music would not leave his soul. And so in his spare time, he learned harmony. He wrote several original songs, and he became a student of the composer Handel. In 1827, his music found a publisher, and the Handel and Hayden Society purchased 50,000 copies of his songbook. Lowell immediately moved to Boston, and for 20 years was a mover and shaker in the New England music scene. Revolutionary, he was, much like Watts, Lowell was constantly battling the establishment with fresh ideas. In 1836, Inspired by two songs from Handel's Messiah, Lowell wrote a brilliant piece of music he entitled Antioch. Though the music was revolutionary for the time, Antioch seemed to beg for words. But the writer could not find the message that he needed to match his melody. Three years later, 
in a songbook entitled Modern Psalmist, Mason discovered the poem Joy to the World. He linked Watts' words with his melody and then gave our world this renowned hymn. Joy to the World is one of today's most beloved Christmas carols, and yet, because it uses nothing from the Gospels as inspiration, it stands alone as a unique non-Christmas Christmas song. And that seems quite fitting, doesn't it? Isaac Watts and Lowell Mason both strove to push the musical envelope in order to get people to see music and scripture through new lenses. And these two men knew, and we would do well to remember, that those who practice the way of Jesus should exude joy each and every day because of the simple fact that the Lord is come. Now, when we hear that word joy, it's easy to make it synonymous with happiness. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to be happy. In fact, we did a series in the spring of 22 called Happy, but joy is different from happiness. Joy is not a feeling. It's a state of being. Joy is not a feeling. It is inexpressible and filled with glory. Joy is not a feeling. It is a location, nearness to God. Joy is not a feeling. It's an indisputable fact that cannot be violated by any variables in this world. Not if we don't allow it to. And it is the fact of joy and the source of joy that Watts captured in his song after reading Psalm 98. In fact, the entire occasion of Psalm 98 is a jubilant celebration. It is a celebration of God's ultimate victory and his universal kingship. This psalm is the natural response of God's people in joyful praise to God for his great deliverance. Now, if you follow along with me, look at verse 1. The psalmist begins by imploring God's people to sing a new song to the Lord. The concept of the new song means that there should be something fresh and dynamic about worship and the songs that we sing to God. The idea of a new song also captures the need for us, for all of us who would say we're a Christian to daily consider all that God is and does and express our joy and our overwhelm in his presence. Can I ask you a question? Are you still overwhelmed by God? Are you still overwhelmed? Do you remember what it was like when you first came to believe and you could not fathom that the God of the universe would come down to earth just to have a relationship with people who didn't really even want it? Are you still overwhelmed by the good news of the gospel? Are you still overwhelmed by the promises of God? Are you still overwhelmed by the faithfulness of God? Are you still overwhelmed? Is the joy of the Lord still your strength? Or has it been pushed to the background of an overbusy life? You know, there have been times when one of our worship leaders will say to us all, sing a new song to the Lord. Psalm 98.1 is the context. When one of our worship leaders allow a written song to breathe for a moment and extend this invitation to us, this is what is in mind. It is our capturing our unique awe of God in words not yet written. I don't know if you caught it, but it happened. It happened at the end of the set a moment ago where the written words had run out and, and none of the musicians pushed to sing anything else. They, they just let the music breathe. And then all of a sudden, you hear these 
hallelujahs and praise the Lord and bless God and, and new songs began to, it was only for about 15 seconds, new songs began to rise out of the mouths of people in this room. That is what the psalmist is envisioning. Charles Spurgeon said this, Miriam didn't use an Egyptian song. Deborah didn't use Miriam's song. There must be new songs on new occasions of triumph. And the new song, well, it has a reason. And that reason is to rejoice in the great works of God. To rejoice in the great works of God. His marvelous things. It is not empty praise or singing for the sake of singing. No, worship is connected to life experience of God's marvelous works. And marvelous works, if you want to know, it can be translated miracles, as it is in Psalm 96.3. It can be translated wonders. Worship is connected to a life experience of reveling in the wonders of God and the majesty of God and the mystery of God and the power of God and the glory of God and the joy of the Lord. It is, it is a life that is consumed with passion at the presence of the living God. That's what worship is. That's what it should be. That's what it should be. And so we sing a new song aloud together, rejoicing in celebration of God's faithfulness, his marvelous works, his keeping every promise. Not only do we sing new songs of joy and triumph, but the psalmist calls us in verse 4 to join all of creation in making a joyful noise. What does that mean? It means that you don't necessarily have to know how to sing. Some of you can't. We know. The Bible doesn't say make a proper key. It says make a joyful noise. Amen? Watts captured this sentiment beautifully in Joy to the World. He said, Joy to the earth. The Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains, repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat repeat the sounding joy. I'm, I'm a bit of a musician myself, and I can tell you that when you hear a writer repeat a refrain over and over again, it's because he is trying or she is trying to tell you that this is the, is the heart of the message that I'm trying to communicate, that you should be repeating the resounding joy of your victorious God over every broken thing in this world. We are meant to join the chorus of creation in shouting joyfully to our God. We were made to worship, to break out in joyous songs and praises to the living God. And so I implore you today, I implore you today, don't be like the Pharisees. Now again, if you're not a follower of the way of Jesus, whether you're here in the room or joining us online, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the Christian folk, the church people. I implore you today, don't be like the Pharisees. The Pharisees saw God face to face and refused to worship him. Luke 19 the Pharisees are complaining to Jesus because his disciples are in the streets worshiping him hard. And they say, why won't your disciples act with more decorum? And what does Jesus say? If they don't open their mouths, the rocks will cry out. If they don't open their mouths, these trees will start to clap. If they don't open their mouths, creation itself 
will exalt me in glory. Don't be like the Pharisees today. Can I encourage you, if you are a follower of the way of Jesus, that when you are face to face with the living God, whether it is in your home or whether it is gathered here, because that's why we're here, you do understand that this is not just some average meeting of people going through the motions on some random Sunday morning but that we are here because we actually believe that God has something to say to us and we have to attune our hearts to it. Don't be like the Pharisees. When you get a chance to be face to face with the living God, open up your mouth and remind yourself how good he is. Let me encourage you. When we gather together for worship, come early. Come expecting. Come ready to sing at the top of your lungs. Nobody paying attention to you anyway. I don't want them to hear me. They're not listening. That's one thing that I can give you. I promise you, most people are not worried about what's going on in your world. Right? So come. Sing at the top of your lungs like God matters. Come ready to give God a shout of praise. When I call you to these things, it's not just church rhetoric. It's not just the transitionary phrase that that must be there between the singing and the yelling time. Give God a shout of praise. No, that's not just church rhetoric. It is an invitation to our spiritual family to practice centuries-old biblical faith. The most ancient thing you can do is raise your hands in worship and open up your mouth because for thousands of years, that's what God's people have done. It's not brand new. It's not some new version of charismata. The most ancient thing you can do is sing aloud and clap for the victory that God has secured on your behalf. God has brought light into the world. God has formed a family for himself from all people. God has healed and delivered and saved. And for all of these things and more, God is worthy of our joyous response. That's what the psalmist is saying. And so after introducing that idea to us, in verse 5 and 6, he gives us some ways to do it. Praise him on the lyre. It's not leer or leery, so you know. I know them biblical words be crazy sometimes, the names especially, right? Mephibosheth, like, why do that to a child? Praise him on the lyre. Praise him on the tambourine. Praise him with the horns. And so if we were to modernize that, we would say praise him on the guitar. Praise him on the piano. Praise him on the drums. Praise him on whatever. Praise him on the bass. Praise him on whatever available instrument you have. Praise him because not one is enough to fully capture his worth. But as I read this, I had this gnawing question, this gnawing question that would not release me. And the question that I had is, why would we have to be instructed to praise God if we are followers of the way? Now, again, if you're not yet a follower of the way of Jesus, I'm not talking to you. But for those to whom this is written, the Bible was written to God's people 
to give them clarity on God's nature, God's character, God's worth, God's worthiness, God's love, God's mercy, God's fullness. That's why it was written. And so to those of us who say we believe that thing right there, the question that came to my mind is why would we have to be instructed to make a joyful noise to the Lord? Well, if we can be honest right now, I can at least think of one reason. And that is because most of us, well, we don't really show up in the head and heart space of worshiping God. In fact, for many of us, our worship on a given Sunday doesn't start until a worship leader initiates it. And if this remains the case, we will never experience the fullness that God has for us. And I'm not saying this without compassion. I'm not telling you to put on church face. We've had enough of that in the Western church. Blessed and highly favored can't be the answer for everything. Thank you, mama. Listen, them old preachers will say, I'm preaching better than you talking. You know, and that's okay, because I know I am. I know I am. Like and subscribe. All right. I, I'm, listen, I'm not saying this without compassion. I know that we live complex lives. I know that. Some of us got wayward children. Some of us got children that are trying to figure themselves out. Aging parents, difficult managers at work, people we don't like, we got to smile at. Inflation is through the roof. Inflation hurting y'all. You know, I counted myself an adult when I could buy four tires at one time and fill up my car whenever I wanted to. And inflation has taken that away from me. I'm back at the pump like I was 23, like it's going to have to be $8 today. And I'll get the rest on Friday. I get it. I get it. There are wars and rumors of war. Life is complex. But should we allow those things to cloud our vision of the only one who can give us victory? Should we allow those things to keep us from seeing with clarity the God who has already secured the end? Sometimes it's easy to get so consumed with life that we forget to give praise to the giver of life. Let's not get caught up in that. Let's not get caught up in that. Let's live lives of worship that are, that are evident that our view of God is his ultimate victory. So when you arrive here, I, I, I encourage you. I encourage you. Don't place the whole responsibility of your corporate worship experience on what's happening with the people on the stage. In fact, I have very little to do with what you experience as long as I stay out of the way. And that is my primary goal. Any given, don't get in the way, right? Don't try to be so funny that people lose sight of the message. Don't get in the way. This is not a Chappelle stand-up show, right? This is like, these are the things I have to tell myself. You are not Dave Chappelle, right? You are preaching the gospel. 
It's not a lot to do with, it has everything to do with how you are viewing God and who you believe him to be. Listen, it is not the job of a worship leader to tell you to worship. The job of the worship leader is to draw your attention and inform you on what aspect of the glory of God we are communally giving thanks for today. And so I encourage you, enter this moment, enter this moment, enter this room with great expectancy. But the only way you will live a life of expectancy is if you live a life of worship outside of this time in this place. Come early. Come expectant. Come prepared. Come having already set your heart and your mind toward God's nature, God's character, God's glory, God's beauty. And if you're a follower of the way of Jesus, come to gathered worship in a posture that can only be formed and informed by a life of worship. Now, the psalmist closes. Remember, he started sing a new song to the Lord, and he told why, because of his faithfulness, because of his greatness, because of his deliverance. And then he reframed it. Therefore, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Shout to the Lord with a voice of triumph. And then after that, he closes by extending this invitation of joy-filled praise to all of the material world. Now, I need to teach for just a minute. Verses 7 through 9 tell us that not only are the human inhabitants of the earth prompted to shout for joy, but the sea and all that fills it, the rivers, the hills, the mountains, all of creation is called to worship God because all of creation is held together by the spoken word of the living God. And therefore, it is invited to shout for joy in his presence. And so when you read this, when you read this, it just sounds like rich and beautiful poetry, right? Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who live in it. Let the floods clap their hands. Let the hills sing together for joy. It sounds like rich poetry, but underneath that poetry is being captured in even richer theology. Here's what I mean. You see, Genesis 1 tells us that God created the world. In fact, the Jesus Storybook Bible version is my favorite version. God said, hello, moon, and there was the moon. And God said, hello, look, y'all don't have kids, you don't know what you're missing. Get you a Jesus storybook Bible. It'll grow your faith. God said, hello, sun, and the sun appeared, right? But what was happening in creation, don't miss this, what was happening in creation is when God created the world and everything in it by his word, if you weren't here last week, you can hear more about that in last week's message. God created everything by his word, and every time he spoke something into being, listen, he was also making a covenant with that something to be its sustainer. That's why the word says that God holds the world together by the word of his power. You breathe because God right now is saying breathe. And this world spins because God right now is saying spin. And we don't fly out of orbit because right now God is saying, stay. Everything is held together by the word of his power. Everything is sustained by the word of his power. And in creating, God made a covenant. And so one day, when God comes to reclaim the world, he's not going to destroy it. I know some of us have been taught that. 
It's a misinterpretation of Peter's epistle. God is not coming. Would you destroy what you made and called very good? No, you would rebuild it. You would restore it. You would cleanse it. You would purify it. You would bring it back to the place that you intended it to be and beyond. And that is the promise of God. That one day when he comes to reclaim the world, he is not going to destroy it. He is going to restore it because his covenant with all that he made constrains him to do so. And so creation itself roars in praise and resounds in worship because the covenant promise of God upholds its very existence. Now, I can't go into that any further right now because I don't have time, but in my first book, Renovate, the first three chapters are all about this because songs like I'll Fly Away, right? They gave us an escapism theology. No apologies. Somebody should be talking. They gave us an escapism theology. And coming to Jesus became a means of getting away from the world. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that the coming of Jesus is the beginning of reversing the curse. It is the beginning of reversing what is broken. It is the beginning of mending what our foreparents, Adam and Eve, unraveled. It is the promise of the fulfillment that God is going, I love the version of this, again, from the, the uh, Jesus Storybook Bible, that God is going to make everything sad come untrue. entrance into the world is the promise and fulfillment of that truth. And anticipating the ultimate end of this great victory, so aptly described in Psalm 98, Watt once again stirs the imagination and the heart with a picture of the world made whole again. No more let sins and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Far as, far as the curse is found. You see, Genesis 1, God made the world and he called it very good. In Genesis 2, man met his wife and he said, my God. Genesis 3. That man and that woman decided that they wanted to be God instead of worship God. And all of a sudden, everything that was once very good became burdened by sin. Romans chapter 8, subjected to futility. And what Watt is capturing is the promise of the scriptures that in Genesis 3, God said work would be hard and the ground would be filled with thorns and thistles. But in John 3.16, God said Jesus has come and he has come to restore the world, not to condemn the world, to rescue the world, not to break the world. And the thorns and the thistles are being reversed by the blessing of the living God. And so we, but we shout for joy. And the reasons for our joy, well, they can be many, but none outmatch the joy of knowing that Jesus' coming was the beginning of restoring our very broken world. 
Yes, it was about you, but it was about more than you. The greatest disservice we ever did to the church was to say, Jesus died for your sins. That's not untrue. It's just truncated. Jesus died for your sins and to restore a world that has been eaten up by sin like a cancer. Not just to rescue you from it, but to rescue you in it and restore it. So that one day, this is Revelation 21 stuff, one day there will be no more tears and no more crying and no more mourning and no more sorrow. Because the curse will be fully reversed. That's why we have joy, family. That's why we shout for joy. That's why we make a joyful noise. Now, if you're here at Water Place, or maybe you're joining us online today, and you would say, well, I'm not yet a follower of Jesus. I get it. But I believe that you see the world as it is, shattered in so many ways, in so many ways and in need of a restoration, in need of rescue. Jesus coming into the world was the start of making everything sad and sorrowful come untrue. It was his joy to come. In fact, the scriptures tell us that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For joy, Jesus lived in perfect submission to God's will, showing us what true humanity looks like. For joy, Jesus was crucified, fulfilling God's plan to restore our world to himself, including you. For joy, Jesus took your place and my place as he faced the justice of a perfect and holy God for those who would not and still will not submit to him. For joy, Jesus rose in triumph, revealing to the world that death was not final and that the Father holds in his hands an eternal life to be lived by all who believe in Jesus and the power of his resurrection. In fact, you could say this. The whole situation of humanity was altered in a revolutionary way when Jesus exploded from a borrow. God would have you this day believe in him and receive from him the life that is truly life. Eternal life and abundant life, which is a life that cannot expire and a gift that cannot be earned. The invitation to us is just to repent, meaning that we admit to God where we have rejected his love and his leading and we accept his love and his leadership and I promise you life will never be the same again the psalm and the song well they're both a celebration of God's ultimate victory of his universal kingship and each is a display of what should be a natural response for anybody who say they love the Lord, a natural response to his goodness and his grace for his deliverance. This matters to us today because, listen, if God is and will be victorious, then we can rejoice now, even before we see the consummation of the victory. We can have joy in the journey. We can rejoice in worship towards him every single day, not just in this room or during the holiday season. 
Because this is a promise. Joy to the world, yes. But more importantly, unwavering joy for those who trust in Jesus. And so if you were moved by this at all today, here's my invitation to you. To take a next step. An action step. Sing a new song to the Lord today. Here's what I mean by that. In a minute, the band's going to come up. In fact, y'all can come now because, you know, we'll just go ahead and get that part out of the way. And we're going to sing a song together. And there's going to be a moment because there's always a moment. There's a moment where the song breathes. Take that as an opportunity to sing words to your God that are not written on the wall for you to sing. Sing a new song to the Lord. Start it as a practice today that you carry into your regular life. Instead of yelling at people on 285, sing a song to the Lord. Right? Yeah, I know it's real out here. 75 South, 285, that will take your salvation. Sing a new song to the Lord. Did you know that the Bible says in Ephesians to greet one another with hymns, songs, and spiritual, or hymns and, and psalms and spiritual songs? Did you know that? So when you greet me, sing to me. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. And oh my soul. And worship his whole. That's how I'm gonna greet all of y'all from now on. Worship his holy name. You ain't got to do it like that. Everybody can do it like that. You do it how God bless you to do it. Let's sing a new song to the Lord. Let's open up our hearts and our mouths to praise him because he's worthy. Listen, can you imagine what kind of environment we would create, even for those who would consider themselves outside of faith, to come in and be around Christians that were so saturated with God's joy that they have to stand back and be like, I don't know what it is. I don't know if I trust it, but I want some. It would change everything. So let's be a house that is marked by the joy of the Lord. Amen? Father, we praise you. You are worthy to be praised. We thank you for your word, for the beauty of your word, for the beauty of your holiness. And we ask that even now in this moment that you would fill us with fresh measures of joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.